Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, it's really good to be back here. I think it's been about a year, right, Rob? Um, I think I came back uh, last summer. Uh, before we uh, dive into God's Word together, I'm just going to invite you to join me um, as we pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to work through this message. Lord, I want to thank you that we've had this chance to worship and to once again remind ourselves of how good you are to us, of how victorious you are. Um, I want to thank you when we now look into your Word that your Word is the truth that your word has been inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it's living and active. Um, I want to thank you for your teaching role, Holy Spirit. And so we ask as we look into the word that you've inspired, that you would open to our eyes and to our hearts and that it would change us. I ask that you would fill me once again, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, so I don't know if you do your reading um, on a Kindle or maybe iBooks, but there's this feature. I don't actually do that because I like touching paper. And, but there's this feature on Kindle that allows you to highlight certain sentences, sentences that you want to remember and that you want to recall later in the book. And, and then later you can just click a button and all those things that you've highlighted will just be saved and you can kind of just print that off. Uh, what you may not know is that they actually keep track of everything that you're highlighting. They keep track of how many people highlight what part of what book and so you can see what parts of what books have been highlighted the absolute most um, of any other book in, in the world. It's interesting that there's the one section that has been highlighted almost two to one more than any other book comes from the book called Hunger Games. Hunger Games, it's their, it's their second novel. And here's a sentence that's been highlighted the most on Kindle more than any other. Because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with it. I, I just find that really interesting. Now, I imagine people reading the book, and they're deciding as they're reading through the book just to highlight that sentence. Uh, maybe it's a student that's feeling overwhelmed at school, or it's a young lady who's trying to process a breakup. Uh, maybe it's a, a young man who, for some reason, can't go back to school, or he started a career, and he, something's going wrong in the career. It's a wife whose husband has had an affair, and she's just getting lost in the pages of this novel, and they come across the sentence, and without even thinking about it, they just kind of highlight it. Because sometimes things happen to people, and they're not equipped to deal with it. Any of you guess what is the most highlighted passage of Scripture in the Bible? Well, let me read it to you. It's this one. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, uh, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I find that interesting. Uh, let's, let's put those two pieces of information together for a minute. Sometimes things happen, and you're not equipped to deal with it, and, and do not be anxious about those things. Anxiety is a bit of an epidemic in our culture. Statistically speaking, at least it is. Um, I, I'm not sure there's been a time where North American culture has been more anxious than we are right now. If, if you do a little bit of research on it, 62% of college students or university students say that they feel overwhelming anxiety. Somewhere between 75 to 90% of hospital visits 
are thought to be stress or anxiety related, at least at the root causes. And psychologists call our era the, the age of anxiety. The average American teenager today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. And that's by Robert Leahy in Anxiety Free. And we become this nation of nervous wrecks. And it feels like it's a bit of an epidemic, doesn't it? I mean, I, I certainly feel it in my life, and I'm sure many of you feel it in your lives. What I want to look at today is how David handled um, anxiety in his life. And now let, me, now let me be clear before we look at this. Anxiety can be physiological. It can be complicated. Sometimes it requires professional counseling. Um, sometimes it re requires some medicinal help. Um, sometimes, as, as um, one author, Becky Thompson, says, sometimes we're praying for restored hearts. We're not really to be praying for is restored serotonin levels. Sometimes it is physical. But no matter if it's physical or spiritual, uh, I think God can help us. I, I, I want to focus on the spiritual side today because, well, I can't prescribe medicine to you, and, and I don't think you'd want me to. So, um, Now, we, we tend to think of emotions as a wrong way to feel and a right way to feel. And if you feel the wrong way, the message is stop feeling that way and start feeling the right way. And, but if we're going to be spiritually mature people, then, then we need to see our emotions as not as um, necessarily right or wrong, but we need to ask a different question. Where is this emotion leading me? Uh, and I think it helps us understand where, the emotion comes, where that word emotion comes from. It comes from the Latin word emovere. E-M-O-V-E-R-E, -E, which just means to move. God gives us emotions to move us. Uh, when you have anxious thoughts, you know, can we pay our bills? What is going to happen in this relationship? And, and all the what-if worst-case scenarios, where is that anxiety going to move you? Where is it going to take you? And David is going to help us. That when we feel anxious, we're going to invite God to move us, to move, have that anxiety uh, move us closer to God. So if you have a Bible or uh, a device, or you can take out your notes, I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 55. And the translation I'm using is the New Living Translation, but this is Psalm 55. Um, and, and just before I dive into this, I want to say that some of the thoughts I've had are from a, a couple of talks that I listened to by, by a guy by the name of Kyle Eidelman. So I just want to give, give some credit to some of the initial thoughts that came for this, this talk to him. Now, as you read the Psalms, you're going to realize that the Psalms are not necessarily really prescriptive in nature. And that can, that can be a little hard for us when we, when we talk about a subject like anxiety. I mean, we want six steps that we can put on our fridge that are just going to the, the method for this is how I'm going to deal with my anxiety and it's going to be successful. Instead, the Psalms aren't prescriptive, but they're much more emotive. The, the Psalms are, are much more experiential. And, and what David will offer us today is he's going to, Put his arm around us and he'd say, hey, why don't you come with me on my journey and saw, see how I navigate my emotions and how I dealt with this struggle. And, and maybe you can kind of learn some things um, from doing it that way. Um, so that's what we're going to do in Psalm 55. Um, let me give you a little back, bit of background to this psalm. Um, this is arguably the most stress-filled, anxiety-producing um, time in the life of David. He has had very, other very stressful times in his life. But I think this one kind of is at the top of the list. Uh, most scholars believe that the context for this psalm is 2 chap Samuel chapter 15 to 18. And you can go home and you can enjoy reading that later. But let me just kind of give you a quick Coles notes on the context for the psalm. At the time, David is, is a, a living legend now when, he, when, when this psalm happens. Um, he's not hiding in caves anymore. He is the most powerful ruler in the known world at the time. 
he has amassed tremendous amount of wealth. Um, and, and over time, maybe he started to let his defenses down a little bit. He's not quite so, you know, wary about what's going on in his life anymore. And he started to relax and all the success and, and things generally in the kingdom are going really well. But there had been some significant cracks that were starting to happen in his family. And um, if you can recall, or I can remind you, um, David was probably not the best dad in the world that ever lived. And um, a, a few years prior to this psalm, this incident happening, there had been an incident with his daughter Tamar that had happened. And, and it, it had been an inappropriate um, occasion that had happened between Tamar and her half-brother Ammon. And um, Tamar's brother Absalom had watched how his dad David had dealt with this. And, and um, he got angry. And he started to hate his father and he started to get really proud and arrogant. And Absalom is watching what his dad didn't do. And he's saying, I can do a better job. And so now a few years later, Absalom is gaining in popularity in the nation. Um, immensely so. And he's decided, now is the time to orchestrate a coup against my own dad. I'm going to overthrow my dad. And to top it off, David had a, a confidant, one of his best friends. He, he refers to him as his companion, which means he was an inner circle friend. So this is like one of those two or three most trusted people in his life. Ahith, his name was Ahithophel. I don't know if you can say that, but he was David's closest friend. And Absalom had come to Ahithophel and said, uh, why don't you just kind of leave your dad and join me? And so Ahithophel had kind of been this double agent and had been sneaking around behind David's back and had joined forces with Absalom. And if you read the story, Absalom is in Hebron and he has been anointed the new king of Israel. And um, he is now on his way to Jerusalem with this huge army and he's coming to kill David. His own son is coming to kill his dad. And so David is forced to be on the run and anxiety is taking over his life. And many scholars think this is the prayer that he prayed sometime on his way fleeing from his son Absalom. So we're going to go begin in verses 1 to 4. Look, let's look at them. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. So David speaks, and he is overwhelmed by his troubles. And, and, and in the psalm, he's going to identify what some of those troubles are. And, and, and maybe you grew up with the idea that it wasn't okay to be anxious or overwhelmed. It wasn't okay for you to admit fear or weakness, but David is vulnerable in his prayer to God, and, and he, is, he confesses he is overwhelmed by his trouble. And this is always a good place to start when you have anxiety. You just be honest about your feelings of anxiety and, 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 and feeling anxious and being overwhelmed. You know, a few years ago, um, Robin mentioned I, I went back into the marketplace, and, and I, I work in the financial services world, and and some of the investments that we introduce our clients to are considered on the high, high risk scale of the investment world. Um, and so anyways, I had introduced uh, a fairly large number of clients, and we're talking millions of dollars to a specific fund that was managing their money. And word started coming out that the person who was the fund manager had mismanaged the financial assets and everything that people had invested was going to go to zero very quickly. And... Um, and my wife and I also had invested in our investments were going to go to zero. And, and um, you can't imagine the stress and the anxiety that a person in my position feels at that point. But the, the amount of sleepless nights, um, I would fall asleep and it would be a pattern of three in the morning uh, waking up and just this, this, this 
terror hitting my inner being. And um, it was during this season that I listened to the advice of a very good friend who is in, in our life group at our church. And he said, you know, when he wakes up in the middle of the night and all these anxious thoughts are racing through his mind, which I think happens to all of us, he, he says, I view this as an invitation from God to come and spend some time with him. So he says, instead of fighting it, I just get up and I actually go and process my anxiety with God. And so that's what I did during that season is I would get up. Um, at that time, I would just go down into the basement of our house and I would talk out loud to God and I would process my my feelings of being overwhelmed by the anxiety. It's the right place to start. I think this would have been hard for David because David as a young man had a reputation, didn't he? I mean, he was not afraid of anything. Everybody else was pretty stressed out because of this giant named Goliath. But David rolls onto the scene and he's not, he's not worried. He's not overwhelmed. In fact, it seems like it seems like he's the only one who's not overwhelmed. And, and he, he reaches out into the middle of the situation and he says to Goliath, I'm going to cut your head off, bro. And, and that's exactly what he does. He goes and cuts his head off. And, and when you have that kind of reputation for bravery, um, for being bold like that, it's, it's, it's especially difficult to be vulnerable. If you have a reputation for being the person who fixes, then it's really difficult to say, I need to be fixed. Um, if you're the one who rescues people, then it's really humbling to say, I need rescued. In Matthew 24, Jesus, it says he's overcome with emotion, with anxiety. And in Luke 22, commenting on the same scene, it tells us that Jesus, being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's a rare, relatively rare medical condition known as hematidrosis, where the capillaries in our sweat glands begin um, because of overwhelming um, anxiety or emotions, the blood mixes with a sweat. See, when, when you and I are overwhelmed by anxiety, Jesus does not say to us, don't feel that way. In fact, Jesus says, you know, I know exactly how you feel. I know how that, that anxiety that overwhelming feeling feels. And, and understanding that and getting our theology right about our humanity might completely change how we process our emotions and our feelings. Jesus shows us that emotions and feelings are, are not associated with being weak. They're associated with being human um, instead. You know, there's two extremes when you, when you deal with anxiety, when you deal with, with these feelings of being overwhelmed. One is the extreme of emotional avoidance. And maybe some of you grew up in an era where there was emotional avoidance. You don't talk about how you feel. And if, if you have emotional avoidance, you, you typically just stuff it down. Maybe that was your family or maybe that was kind of the age bracket you were in. It, you just kind of shove it underneath the surface. But, but if you don't talk about it, it comes out right? It comes out in, in anger or shopping sprees or eating too much or apathy or all of it. You find yourself yelling and screaming and you're going, why am I yelling and screaming? Um, or maybe it comes out in, in your health and, and you all, once your, your body starts to break down on you and you're going, I haven't processed my emotions and my, my body is now processing them. It's in the heart and it comes out. And, and the other extreme, so you have e emotional avoidance. And then the other extreme is, is you have emotional indulgence. And I, I think our culture is probably more in that category right now. Generally saying, just be emotionally indulgent. Uh, feel your feelings and just kind of let them all out there. Daniel Coleman writes on this and he says, Sometimes emotions are more contagious than the flu. 
they did a study with some volunteers. They would put three people in a room together by themselves. And um, the, the goal was just to sit silently in a circle for two minutes. And um, they found that by the end of the time, those two minutes, the most ex emotionally expressive person had transmitted his or her mood to the other two people every single time they did the experiment. Some of you, some of you are living with someone like that. You're, you're living with someone who's very emotionally expressive it, and you're picking up their mood all day long. Uh, our emotions are, aren't intended to be hidden and our emotions aren't intended to be indulged on other people. They're intended to get our attention and like David, to move us to share them with God, to, to take them to him. So I think David shows tremendous courage and humility, not in just killing a giant, but in being honest with his anxiety. And, and some of you really need to hear this. Because you were told, and you've adopted a, a viewpoint of life, that that's not the way you do it. You just stop feeling anxious. You, 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 you smile. When people ask you, how are you doing? You say things like this. I'm doing okay. And people say things, you know, uh, if I was more blessed, I'd have to sit on my hands and keep them from clapping. Uh, if I were any better, I'd be illegal. Or, or sometimes you ask people how they're doing and they say, I'm living the dream. Please don't wake me up. Or sunshine all day long. So let me just be really clear. There's no weakness in feeling anxious. There's no shame in feeling overwhelmed. You might have times when, like David, you, you feel this courage when facing a Goliath, but you're going to have times where you feel overwhelmed, you just can't do it any longer. And you can have the strength of David, and you can have the faith of Abraham, and you can have the boldness of the Apostle Paul, and you can have the courage of Elijah, but you're still going to have times in life when it just feels like it's too much. I did it for a while, I, I carried the weight for a little while. I thought I could handle it, other people can't handle it, but, but I can handle it. But I can't handle it anymore. It's just gotten too heavy. It just becomes too much. But listen, the, the worst thing you can do is say to God, I got it. That's the worst thing you can do. I don't need any help. The courageous thing to do is say, God, please, please don't ignore me. Please rescue me. This is the humble thing to do. Now, when you read the backdrop story to Psalm 55, you realize there's a lot happening in this psalm, in this season of David's life that he can't control. There's a, people who study anxiety say there's a direct correlation between what we can't control and the anxiety levels that we feel. The, the recipe for anxiety seems to be, if you want more anxiety, you get a diminished sense of power in your life. You become more vulnerable uh, you get in a position of weakness where you can't do anything about something and, and anxiety levels will go up. And, and David is going to talk about some things that he can't control and, and anxiety he feels. And see, when we feel overwhelmed, there's lots of things we can't control. And, and it would be like if I had a speaker up here and it would be like if I was just turning up the volume on the speaker and there'd be all sorts of noises barraging you. And, and, and the volume on anxiety is, as your control diminishes, the volume is going higher and higher. And, and we, it gets louder and louder. And, it, and it's always there. It, it's there in the morning when you wake up. And it's there in the evening when you go to bed. And, um, and it's the stress at work. And it's the demands at home. And it's the financial pressures. And it's the bill collectors. And, and it's the stock market taking a dive. And it's, it's the fires that are raging in the Amazon rainforest. And the burning out of control. And it's the health challenges that you can't get your handle on. We're just reminded all the time about things that we can't control in our life. And the volume just gets turned up louder and louder. That's David. 
And maybe this is where some of you are at. So this is where you begin. Now, now I want you to notice, as we're going to look at the next section of verses, that when he prays, he's going to make a shift now. He's going to start praying um, from praying very generic prayers, God, I'm overwhelmed. He's going to start narrowing it down to getting very specific in his prayers. And I think in dealing with anxiety, this is really important. It's, it's a way to turn down that volume on the anxiety. It's one of the ways we cast our anxieties on God. Um, in Philippians chapter 4, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. Make very specific requests. In every little thing, in every very little thing, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. Uh, sometimes we, we, we pray about anxiety. We, we just become more, more anxious about our, about our anxiety. So, so here's, look at the verses. So this is David now getting very specific. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. So they've come into, they're coming into Jerusalem to, to take over the country, and they're hunting David down. And David says, as they're making their plans, he says, God, I, I'd like it if you would confuse them. Uh, just mess them up a little bit. For I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders, but the real danger is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion. He's referring to Ahithophel here. My, clo my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. And then he gets very specific. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. And he moves from praying a general prayer to a specific prayer. And these are not memorized or scripted prayers. I mean, he, he's not saying God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. It's very, it's very honest prayers. And the most spiritual prayers, I think, are the most honest prayers. And David is actually honest in a way that makes us really uncomfortable about his enemies. He, what, what they did to him and what he wants God to do to his enemies. Actually, if you were to look at that last verse, verse 15, in another translation, uh, it's almost bordering on being profane. He's saying, God, I want you to send him straight to hell. Um, that's really what he's saying. And as David describes his anxiety, he speaks about people around him that are making his life difficult and Maybe if I asked, if we had the chance to sit down for coffee and I asked about your anxiety, if I asked you to name your anxiety, some of you would probably give me a name. Um, there's a person that's creating anxiety in your life. Or there's people that are creating anxiety. Now, what is it about that person that is creating anxiety in you? For most of us, it's because we can't control them. If we could control that person, in our mind, the anxiety would go away. If they were to do what they were supposed to do, then I wouldn't feel anxious. If they were to feel the way that they're supposed to feel, then I wouldn't feel anxious. Um, if they were to respond to me the way that they're supposed to respond to me, then I wouldn't feel anxious. If they were to change the things in their life that they should have changed a long time ago, then I wouldn't feel anxious anymore. Maybe it's a friend, like it was in David's case, that, that you were vulnerable with, that you... They were your close ally. You shared some secrets with that you really haven't shared with anybody else. And, and you trusted them. And one day that friend started hanging out with some other friends. And they never really said too much to you. And, and then they stopped replying to your texts. And stopped replying to your phone calls. And stopped responding to your or commenting on your posts. And, and, and now the friend, and maybe it's not a Hathafel, but maybe that friend has ghosted you. 
And now you see or hear what they're doing with other friends, and it makes you feel anxious because you would like to be included, and you can't, and you can't control them. Maybe it's a significant other in your life, and, and you want them to have feelings towards you that they don't have. You, you want to control their um, affection or attraction, and, and you can't control that. And it fills you with what-if questions. What if he never says it, and what if she never asks, and what if she never feels that way again, and, and maybe some of your parents, and I can relate to this. My kids are younger, but I mean, if I, for the rest of the life, if I could control their decisions and their choices and their feelings and their fashion choices and, and the food they eat and their, their friendships and their entertainment choices and how they do their homework, if I could just control their careers, if I could control them, my life would be so much easier. What if my kids marry the wrong person or they go to the wrong school? What if they pick the wrong career? What if they leave home and they never want to come back? And what if they never want to leave home? <laughs> so David talks about this friend who betrays him. Look, look what he says. Verses 20 and 21. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words are soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. He thought he could trust Ahithophel. And when someone you trust breaks your trust, that creates a lot of anxiety. Because who can you trust? For some of you, this happened really early in your life. Someone that you trusted, a mom or a dad, broke that trust. And, and now, 30 years later, you're in all sorts of situations in your life, and, and you feel this anxiety brewing deep beneath the surface of your life. So David, in verse 6, talks about how he wants to deal with the anxiety most of us can relate to what he wants to do. Look, look at what he says. And, and I would just say this, guard against doing this. Guard against escaping anxiety. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would flee away and rest. I would fly far away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from the wild storm of hatred. Ever feel that way? Want to manage your anxiety by just escape? And for some of us, anxiety, instead of leading you to God, has has actually led you to escape. You've moved it down the road of escape, and, and you, you know it's gotten you into a lot of trouble. It's taken you down some dark paths. And David just wants to get away from the deafening noise of anxiety. He, he wants to just kind of live off the grid for a while. Ever feel like just getting in a car and driving? Ever feel like just getting in a plane and flying somewhere and getting away from it all? Or just quitting because, because you're anxious? Just David said, just get me away with it. And then, and then he comes full circle and he processes the anxiety. So David is really honest with God. He prays some specific prayers. He, doesn't, he wants to escape, but he doesn't. And then he moves into verses 16 and 17. Look what he says. But I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me morning, noon, and night. I cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. Instead of anxiety moving him to a place of despair, he gets anxiety to, more, to move him towards peace and dependence on God. And David says, I will call on God morning, noon, and night to be rescued. That's an important part of prayer that reduces anxiety. It's how you start your day, and it's how you end your day. When you talk about the noise of anxious thoughts, we don't just pray once and turn it off, and then it's good for the rest of the day or for the rest of the week. 
it's a, it's a much more, at least it is in my life, it's a much more morning, noon, and night uh, thing that we have to talk to God about. The, the volume might get turned down for a while after you pray, but I find for myself it always gets turned back up again, and I, I have to go back to God again to turn it back down. So that's why he says morning, noon, and night. Uh, I, I was thinking this week, that's not necessarily what we do in the morning. Instead, sometimes in the morning, the first thing we do is we actually, we do the exact opposite of what David suggests. We turn up the, we turn up the volume on our anxiety. First thing we do, I don't know about if you're like me, but first thing we do, we wake up, we pick up our phones, and we read the news so that we can find out everything um, bad that happened in the world the night before while we were sleeping. And, and I don't know, we just kind of start here. And, and then I take a look at my calendar, and I go over everything that I should have gotten done the day before that I didn't get done, and all the stressful meetings I'm going to have that day. So the first 20 days of my, first 20 minutes of my day, I, I turn up the volume on my anxiety just to start it off really well. Or at night, what do we do? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you're similar. We watch TV. We watch the news. We get into bed and we go on social media. Many of you go look at Facebook or Instagram and we remind ourselves that everyone else's life is filled with so much love and laughter. But mine doesn't feel like that or, or seems, <clears throat> seems like every other person on the planet is brilliant and, or at least every other parent on the planet is brilliant and, and their kids, you know, they know exactly what they're doing with their kids all the time, but how come I don't? And, and so we remind ourselves of all the things that we should be discontent about and but that, Dave suggests another pathway. He says, morning, noon, and night, I pray. Maybe, maybe we need to reorganize how we, we do some of the things that we do so that we, we can process it and sleep properly. And When you get to verse 16 in the psalm, actually many commentators, when they talk about this psalm, they say they actually have a hard time saying that it's the same psalm because it's such a radical change from the despair and the anger to all at once peace and confidence. And they say, how does that work in a guy? But it's the same psalm. It's a common pattern, actually, you find in the psalms. David turns a corner. And um, this is the point. At some point, stop talking to God and start talking to yourself about God. That's the point. That's what David does. It's a common pattern. He stops talking to God about his anxiety and he starts talking to his anxiety about God. And, and he's going to go from praying to preaching. But who is he preaching to? He's preaching to himself. Um, look, at it, he, he, look at the verses there. I'll call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night, I'll cry out my distress and the Lord hears my voice. And now he preaches. He ransoms me and he keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who is ruled forever, the sovereign God, will hear me and humble them. For my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. He preaches a sermon to himself about God's character, about God's promises, about God's sovereignty. In fact, the word he uses for God, he changes the word he uses for God. It's interesting. He's, he's very intentional. The word he uses for God is the word, he's a sovereign God. He's the one who rules over all. All the things that I'm out of control of, God's not. God's got it all under control. And, and I, I find this to be incredibly helpful for when I deal with anxiety in my life. For, for many of us, this is a shift we need to make in our prayers. We need to be careful we end up praying in a way that makes us less anxious than when we started praying instead of more anxious. If you just rehearse your emotions with God and that's where you end it, you're kind of short-circuiting the whole process. So he turns a corner and David shifts from talking to God to talking to himself about God. And, and, and he does this. And so for David and for us, the volume of anxiety gets turned 
up by the circumstances of life, and we're, we're constantly reminded of all, what, all the what-ifs that happen in our lives and, and all the things that could go wrong, all the enemies, all the anxious thoughts. They become louder and louder throughout the day. And, and then David, at, at the end of the psalm, he just starts worshiping. And he turns up the volume on who God is. And he reminds himself that God's going to rescue him, that God is a redeemer. And he's turning on the volume on worship. And when he does that, the volume on the anxiety starts to decrease. Because they can't really coexist very well. Does that mean that all the anxiety goes away? It's still there, but, but it, it's not as noisy. Now, we have to do this, folks, morning, noon, and night. This is not a one-time thing. And when you do this, you feel some peace and courage. Now, let's look at the la very last verse. And this is going to lead us right into taking communion. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching on anxiety, and he, Jesus makes an argument to people. Jesus says, consider how well God takes care of the birds. And then he, he asks, aren't you, aren't you worth more than them? And then after talking about the flowers, Jesus says, if that's what God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, um, and is thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he care for you? He, he makes an argument from the lesser to the greater. He says, if God takes care of his pets... And his flower gardens. Don't you think he's going to take care of his kids? He's making an argument from lesser to greater. And then there's an, another argument in the Bible. From the greater to the lesser. And it's in, in Romans chapter 8 verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously give us all things? Listen to what Charles Spurgeon. A great preacher from yesteryear said about that passage. Listen to the voice of the Lord speak. This is God speaking. I will help you. It is a small thing for me, your God, to help you. Consider what I've already done. What? Not help you? I bought you with my blood. What? Not help you? I died for you. Since I have done the greater, will I also not do the lesser things for you? What more would God have to do to prove to you that he cares for you? Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.